Christ, that is the subject of tonight's content. I am so excited to get into this. If you leave discouraged after tonight, uh, check your pulse. Welcome to the deep dive. Yes, Deep Dive Bible Study Season 5, Episode 18, and I am your humble host, uh, Tim Hatch, and I am so glad to bring this content to you as we get back into Romans 8 for the last time. We've done two episodes about Romans 8 thus far. This is the last one. Let's get into the book of Romans after this prayer. Father, thank you for the chance to study your word. Speak to us, lead us, guide us, and lead me, Lord, as I talk about this content. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, Romans chapter 8, if you got your Bibles open, and let's get right to the Bible cam, actually, because I want to read the whole text, and then we'll, then we'll dig in from where we left off. So we left off in verse 25. We're going to pick it up right here in verse 26, but first, let me read verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we ought to pray for, or how to, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate? I'm sorry, who shall bring? any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ, the one who has died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written that for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, this text speaks for itself. This is all about victory. Victory is ours in Christ. Romans 8 starts with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. Do me a favor, like the episode, share it, subscribe to the channel, all that kind of stuff. Back to the content, Romans chapter eight. Remember the outline, we're just gonna deal with these last two in the outline, the new hope through groaning that will lead to final glory that is ours in Christ Jesus and the absolute certainty. And I want you to see that line right there. The absolute certainty. Oh, friends, get yourself a hold of some certainty, some assurance of your salvation or you would drive yourself crazy as many a Christian like to do. Am I really saved? Is really God with me? Do I have salvation? Am I going to heaven? Oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, give assurance to your people now more than ever in a time of tremendous uncertainty out in the world. Uh, war with Russia, uh, the markets failing, the world getting upended. What's true? What's not? We don't know. Confusion abounds on in the world and in the atmosphere of our age. It doesn't have to abound in your heart. 
It does not have to be the reality of who you are in Christ Jesus. You need absolute certainty of your security in God and your unity with Christ. So with all that in mind, let's get to what it meant. So what does it mean here? Okay, and I think that you have to understand what what Paul is really trying to do is he's trying to show because this is going to lead us into Romans 9, that the promises that were made to Israel, that they would be God's chosen possession and uh, they would always be his people, that he would always be their God, he would never leave them, right? Those promises are now transferred onto the church. Those who are true Israel through faith in Christ Jesus, the true son of David, the true son of Abraham. And again, we're going we're gonna to get into deep theology in two weeks. No deep dive next week, but deep theology when we get to Romans 9, 10, 11 in two weeks. Not covering all three chapters in two weeks, but when we start. But anyway, this, this chapter is wrapping up the idea that, look, our salvation is secure in Christ. Permanent, done, signed, sealed, delivered in the blood of Jesus Christ. I say that to because of this. There are too many of God's sheep running around thinking that they need to do more to get God's approval, and then they will be saved and go to heaven. They need to do more. They need to check their spiritual boxes. They need to run their little, you know, religious ritual through the rigmarole to make sure that God approves of them and God likes them. They have to check the boxes of all these things that make them good people, and then God will bring them to heaven. Most of Christians, most most of Christianity, most, I think, pastors, to be honest with you, teach God's people this unintentionally. They teach God's people, rather than to be secure in the sheepfold of their good shepherd who laid down his life for them, they imbibe the sheep. They impart into the sheep this restless anxiety of whether or not they're saved. They are constantly berating the sheep, telling the sheep they need to do better. They need to pick up the slack. They need to stop acting like the world. Look, Christians absolutely should stop acting like the world. The problem is there's still a lot of the world in us, and we're always going to be doing battle with the flesh, a.k.a. Romans chapter 7, when Paul himself testifies to his own struggle with the flesh, okay? And that's why Romans 8 is such a powerful and potent text, because it's teaching us no condemnation, no separation. Last time we were together, we talked about the state of reality of those in Christ Jesus. We are not under, on, under condemnation. And then, well, that was two times ago, then we talked about that there was obligations in our hearts through the Holy Spirit leading us to God uh, confirming in us the power of God and and drawing us out of the things of this world and into the things of Christ, right? That is a reality for those who are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit of God dwells in you, the Holy Spirit, okay? So let's get into the text and read it a little bit more slowly and study it, okay? Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now, I only have uh, this text that came before it right here because of this word, likewise. Well, what do you mean likewise, Paul? Well, let's back up to verse 23. What did he say? Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, there's a physical redemption coming that our spiritual uh, being um, resonates with. Our spirits are right with God, but our bodies are not, okay? Our bodies will slowly decay and then they will die. That's a, that's a sad fact, undeniable fact. We talked about that last week. So we groan. We groan inwardly because we know uh, not only is the world broken spiritually, it's broken mentally. Mental health is a serious problem in our age today. It's also broken physically. We are decaying right now as you, as you sit here and watch me and as I teach you. Your body, the skin cells around you are dying and falling off. I think we shed 300,000 skin cells a 
day. It's really bad. Uh, you're going to get wrinkles around your eyes and your lips and your youth. If you're young, hold on to it because it's not going to last forever, okay? And this is the sad reality of the world because we are in a fallen creation and there needs to be a redemption of creation, a redemption of our bodies. And so what Paul is talking about is, listen, you're going to have this internal angst as a Christian that you know not only... Look, the world testifies to the fact that your physical body is decaying, but not only do Christians believe, yes, the physical body needs redemption, but the spirit and the mind and everything needs redemption. And we groan, we inwardly struggle just as creation does with uh, all of the problems with creation, the um, earthquakes, which Jesus relates to birth pains in Matthew chapter 24. The earth is longing for its redemption with birth pains, getting closer and closer to the coming of Christ. The earth longs for its redeemer. Our bodies long for the redeemer and our minds and our spirits long for the redeemer. And now he says this, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses the same way that we groan inwardly. We groan for the things of God in our lives, so too the Spirit does the same thing. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper into the text without that text that came before. Here's what he says. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know. Now, this is important. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever prayed stupid prayers. Let me know in the comments below. Have I ever prayed stupid prayers? I see a lot of thumbs up coming into the comments below. Um, have you ever prayed for something and then like a year later, like, thank God, thank God he said no, right? Um, or you're praying for something right now and it's not happening. You're like, well, maybe, maybe I'm unfaithful. Maybe I'm being judged. Maybe God is being reluctant. No, 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 no. It's just that you don't know what you ought to pray for. You don't. And, and I always tell my church this, and I want to tell you this, that every decade of your life proves that the previous decade was far stupider than you realized, Right. You know, when you think about your, I'm 45. When I think about my 35-year-old self, I'm like, man, what a dummy. And when my 35-year-old self was 35, I thought about my 25-year-old self and said, man, what a dummy, right? So what I'm trying to tell you is that at every stage in your life, you're like a dummy. You're a, you're a dummy, okay? And so whatever you're praying for, you don't know. Paul's saying that about himself. He's saying that about you. Remember that, that Paul actually prayed for the thorn of the flesh to be taken out and God said no three times. And I love the fact that Paul says that God said no three times and that was it. Like how many of us have prayed countless prayers to which God said no and we're like, why, why, why? And Paul's like, no, three times, <laughs> two or three witnesses, all things are established. That's what Jesus said. So after three no's, I'm good. Uh, God's grace is still sufficient, right? But the fact of the matter is that even Paul himself knew that you don't know how to pray for, for uh, you don't know how to pray as you should. You don't pray for what you ought. So the spirit helps us in this weakness. You're not, you're weak in your prayers, but the spirit is strong for you in the prayers. Now look at what it says, but the spirit himself intercedes. By the way, let's talk about interceding because interceding is when you pray on behalf of someone else for their good. That is what intercession is. There's prayers or supplications. That is you praying for you. And then there's intercessions that is you praying for someone else that you know for something for someone else that you know is for their good. So when a parent prays for their child, a Christian parent prays for their child to grow up in the faith, they're praying, they're interceding on behalf of that child for their good, okay? Um, when they're praying for the right spouse, when they're praying for the right job, right? They're praying for that person's good on their behalf. That's what the Spirit is doing for you right now. He is praying, he is interceding for your behalf for good things. Uh, and then how? Well, <laughs> I love the language here with groanings. So as your spirit groans to be redeemed, the spirit himself groans with you. And I love this because the Bible is making very clear, very clear that the Holy Spirit is personal. He is a person. 
the spirit is a person. Please do not miss that because we tend to apply the um, Jedi force mantra to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Jedi force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of God. The Holy Spirit is the like comforter of just like Jesus Christ in dwelling in the believer, leading you, guiding you, speaking to you. Okay, it's not your conscience, it's the Holy Spirit. So he is groaning with you because he is a person. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, by the way. You can grieve the Holy Spirit in sin and disbelief. But he is groaning with you in ways that words can't express. And scripture says he searches hearts and he knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Look at this, love this, according to the will of God. So the will of God is already being prayed for over your life because of the third person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And you also have to just look at one more last passage. I kind of skipped over this because I got ahead of myself. Look at that word helps. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now that word helps in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. Old Testament Septuagint is the Old Testament in Greek, not Hebrew. Well, it's using the same word here for helps that it uses in Psalm 89, 21, which says that God's hand shall be established with him and his arm shall strengthen him. The Holy Spirit is strengthening you in your weaknesses right now. He's sighing, he's groaning, he's with you, he's working things out in your prayer life. And I'm glad for this because some of you, and this is big, um, here are some truths that Christians dislike. Sometimes God says no to your prayer. Sometimes God says slow to your prayer. Sometimes God says grow to your prayer, right? Before you get it, you got to grow. Before you get it, I got something I got to do. And then sometimes um, God says yes, but <laughs> most of the time, because we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit has to say no, grow, grow or slow. Slow down, grow, all those kind of things, because we are weak. We are weak. Here's the good news though, all right? Here's the flip side good news to all that. God knows when to say yes. God knows when to give us what we need. God knows uh, what's coming in your future, how to redeem your past. And he's fully aware. This is the best news about God, right? He's fully aware of what he wants to accomplish in your life and, and through your life. And he's put a spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit in you to pray in accordance with that. So back to our stick figure illustration by my high tech stick figure illustration here is that remember that the spirit is the one that brought us to Christ and the spirit is the one who helps us grow in Christ. Okay. How? Intercedes with groans. Intercedes. Praise for your good on your behalf. That my friends is a promise that is worth taking to the bank because you know, you know that you're not in your alone in your prayer time. How, I, as a pastor, I get this all the time about how to pray or I'm, I'm not a good prayer or I just don't know what to say when I pray. Okay, good news. The Bible is very, um, God is very aware of that. Uh, it says that in the Bible. And even the most eloquent prayers, praying, praying people, aren't necessarily praying proper prayers. So you, you don't measure the value of a prayer by eloquence. You measure a value of the prayer by what's going on in the heart and with the Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you. Sometimes in our prayer life, and I want to just say this, very practical. In your prayer life, sometimes you don't need to say anything. You just need to groan. You just need to grow with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, um, 
that was Hannah's deal. She was groaning, like she was overwhelmed to to have a child, and and she just she mouthed the words, like she couldn't even get the the breath out. She was mouthing the words, and Eli thought she was drunk, right? But she's groaning in prayer. I believe this happened throughout the biblical history and church history, where people have just groaned with God. It's okay to groan with God, and you don't have to. Listen, I'm trying to release you here. You don't have to sound eloquent. You don't have to sound scholarly. You, you just have to be yourself. You just have to be who you are right now because the Holy Spirit knows you're weak and he's going to give you the words. He's going to pray the right words over your life. Now that leads to the greatest verse in the greatest chapter of the Bible. I am talking, of course, about Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work for work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. My friends, memorize that verse, those two verses. Please do not stop at verse 28. Please do not do that because so many Christians do. This is um, how it goes. It, it, uh, years ago, I did a series of messages in my church and the series title was, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. I still remember the bumper little video thing we did. The phrases that we assume are in the Bible are not actually in the Bible. And one of them was, um, all things work together for the good. That's not actually in the Bible because now you're going to say to me, wait a second, I see it's right there on the screen. All things work together for good. There it is. Yeah, I know. But look beyond the text, okay? You cannot isolate those few words. Like like we um, Steph Curry does this with Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things. He removes... The fact that Paul is in prison, he removes the fact that Paul said, I can be poor, I can be rich, I can be hungry, I can be full, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he takes just, I can do all things, and he just makes that, puts that on the sneaker, and it's like, okay, scripture out of context. You know what I'm saying? Scripture out of context. No, read the whole context of the text, because if we believe things that are not in the Bible, we are the ones who suffer disappointment. And, and, and I, I've got so many people who are like that. Another one. Um, I, I remember the series, just to give you a couple of other examples. I said uh, one one week was, um, this too shall pass. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, God won't give you more than he can handle. That that was a big week. Like People were like, I thought it was in the Bible. It, surely it's in the Bible. No, you're talking about a passage about temptation. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you were able to endure, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you might bear under it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he talks about we were under pressure, under duress, beyond our ability to, to, to handle it. Okay, so anyway, I'm off topic. Let me get back to the week that I talked about um, all things work together for good. It's not in the Bible. There's a qualifier. So let's get to the text. For those who love God. Again, repeating phrases, right? For those, for those. For those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, now you say, wait a second. Uh, how do I know that I'm called according to his purpose? Okay, well, if you love God, you are called according to his purpose. Now, here's the qualifier. Here's the qualifier. Let me write this out. What God do you love? And forgive my chicken scratch. For those who love God, uh, what God do you love? This has to be asked in modern American Christianity because I think that a lot of us love God that is a direct reflection of ourselves in the heavenly mirror. We love a God that we have made in our own image. As Augustine said in the fourth century, that in the beginning God created man in his image and ever since man has been paying God back the favor, right? <laughs> we, we cast on God an image of ourselves and we think that God must, must be like me. He must be mad at the things I'm mad at. He must like the things I like. He must, you know, vote for the person that I'd vote for, blah, blah, blah. No, what God do you love? Do you love the God of the 
Bible? Do you love the God who confronts, the God who hates your sin, the God who hates the spirit in you that that is fleshly and arrogant and proud and rebellious? Do you love that God or or do you love this self-imposed version of yourself that you have placed on the deity? And I would suggest this, that you know you are called when you are good with God being God as he is and not as you want him to be. And then you can move on to the next passage, which is those who are called according to his purposes. Now, this is a big question. Oh, my purpose, my purpose, my purpose. A lot of Christians get so uh, amped up about finding their purpose. I want to know my purpose. I want to know what am I called to do? Who am I called to be? You know, where's my, what's God's grand plan for my life? Okay, let me tell you what God's grand plan is for your life. Let's go back to the text. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Okay, so what is God's purpose for your life? You may be a Fortune 500 CEO. That's not necessarily God's purpose. You may be a public school teacher. That's not necessarily God's purpose. You may be a preacher, a missionary. You may be an apostle to the nations. That's not necessarily God's purpose. God's purpose is that you become like Jesus, that you are conformed to the image of his son in order that you might be the, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And notice that little word predestined because that's big. Because this is the ultimate aim of God, that you are not just predestined unto salvation, you are predestined, okay, unto transformation. You are not just predestined unto salvation, you are predestined unto salvation. That was worth repeating. I know I repeated it, but it's worth repeating, okay? So let's go on and just uh, note a couple things. Um, There's another, there's an alternate reading for this phrase. Uh, all things work together where uh, the NIV, I believe, puts God in the subject of the line, says God works all things together for good. Uh, the scripture, the he, the Greek text is vague enough that it could be both. But I want to summarize all this by saying this. There are three values that I want you to catch here. The qualifier is love God, not your God, not the vision of your God, not your version of God, the God of the Bible. Okay, the God who hates what you do sometimes because you're a sinner. The God who will confront you, the God who will shape you, the God who will transform you, that God, okay? The container is God's calling, that he has a calling upon all those who love him, uh, those who believe in Jesus Christ. And then the end game, let me put that up. And then the end game is to become like Jesus. That's the point. That's what God is working in all things for your good. Your good is become like Jesus, okay? That is how you read this text. Please, please, please do not cut off the text here all things to work together for good, because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, for those who love God, who are called according to purposes, and are predestined to become just like Jesus. That is who God is working all things together for their good. Okay, got it? Let's go on to verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified, which means that there is a transformation process that is happening. You are called, justified, that's uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, no condemnation, and glorified, that is your coming glory, which we talked about last week, okay? All throughout the Bible, this idea that we are predestined is undeniable. It is undeniable that God knew from the foundations of the earth who would be his, who he would elect unto salvation. And if you have a problem with that, it's because you have not properly read the Bible. You have not closely read the Bible. Ephesians 1, let me take you there because Paul talks about there this topic in Ephesians 1 as well. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. I said a couple of weeks ago to my church, I said, when were you saved? And the answer is, before the foundation of the world. Because he chose you before the foundation of the world. Now, don't stop there. Oh, good, I'm chosen before the foundation of the world. Now I can live as I want. Wrong. 
continue to read the scripture, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Transformation, predestination unto salvation. Don't stop at salvation. Predestination also unto transformation. And transformation leads to imitation of Christ. That's a lot of Asians. Okay. Verse 11 of the same chapter. In him we have obtained his inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's the same language as Romans 8.28. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So this idea um, that it is all about me attaining my dreams, me becoming who I want to be, me becoming a better version of my, my, my own ideologies. Wrong. You know, your life is for his glory. Your life is for his glory. Now, this is very good news. This is very good news for the bad people listening to me right now because <laughs> you're looking at yourself and saying, oh, I got so many things. I got so much stuff going on. There's no way God can use me for his glory. Okay. God delights in taking the worst and transforming them into people just like Jesus. You take the apostle Paul. You know how many, how many times Paul's talking about his testimony? How many times he's talking about how God saved him, God changed him, God did all these things. It was only because of God. I mean, because he said, I was a persecutor of the church. I was a murderer. I was vile. I was hateful. I had covetousness in my heart. That's Romans chapter seven. I mean, Paul admits on a regular basis how bad he was. And he was. I, I know some of you out there are listening to me. You were bad or you are bad. Well, were you persecuting Christians? Were you trying to arrest them and imprison them? Were you trying to actively legislate against Christian freedom? Paul was. He would have been. He would have been. Um, you know, in league with the seculars right now who are trying to, you know, make Christianity a byword. You know what I'm saying? He would have been right on board with that. But no, 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 no. God still took him and changed him and transformed him and made him into a person that was just like Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be just like Jesus? A heart for the lost, a heart for God, a heart for your neighbor. These are the things that Jesus was about. Jesus loved sinners. Okay. Don't tell me you're not, don't tell me you're like Jesus if you avoid sinners, if you can't be around and hang around and love sinners into a relationship by which you can bring them to Christ. Christ loved sinners. Christ loved the unrighteous. They called him a friend of sinners. They called him a drunkard and a glutton because he hung out with them so often he got the same moniker they got. This is the reality of who Jesus is. I get very perturbed with Christians who say that they are like Jesus because of how much Bible they know. No. The people who knew the Bible the most in the New Testament were the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And Jesus called them sons of hell. And Jesus said that they were like whitewashed tombs full of dead, men, dead, dead man's bones. He said they were blind gods. Okay. He called them hypocrites. And they knew the Bible chapter and verse. You are not like Jesus because you know the Bible chapter and verse. You are like Jesus in your love for God and your love for your neighbor and even your unrighteous, unchristian neighbor. As much as on the deep end, we talk about all the things that are wrong with this world. Please understand, I'm just trying to educate Christians on how to relate to this world biblically and to be aware of what's happening in the world and to guard their family and their life appropriately. But in our relationships with our gay neighbor, our atheist neighbor, our Muslim neighbor, we are to love them, we are to serve them, and we are to be an example to them of what Christ would be to them, and that is friend of sinners. So um, this is who you're supposed to be. This is who you're supposed. To, this is what you're called to be, like Jesus Christ. And if you're not into it. <laughs> You're not a Christian. I'm <laughs> just letting you know right now. If you're not into becoming like Jesus, you're not a Christian. Here's what, Paul, here's what John says in 1 John 3, 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be what? Like him. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is the undeniable reality in your future. And if you're not interested in that, don't go to heaven. 
because uh, heaven will not have any of the sin that you want to hold on to. It just won't. It just won't. Now, how do we transform? Because this is important because Jesus also learned obedience. The, the Bible talks about this. It doesn't mean that he sinned. It means that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. This is what it says in Hebrews 5.8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Okay, now this promise of how Jesus learned obedience is ours as well. How do we learn obedience? We learn obedience by what we suffer. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't really suffer. I want to just simplify suffering. Here's the simplest definition of suffering I can give you. Suffering is something being taken from you. Whether that be life, health, friends, relationships, whatever. Things. Suffering is things being taken away from you. Look at the life of Job. Job chapter 1 and 2. What does Satan do? He takes away all of his possessions. Then he takes away all of his children. Then he takes away all of his health. Things being taken away. That's suffering. And in this life, that's how we're going to learn obedience. By allowing that process of suffering to happen in our lives. Because that's how Jesus learned obedience. If we're to be like Jesus, we got we got to learn like Jesus. we got to become uh, more obedient the way Jesus learned obedience. All that to say this. If you presently do not desire to be like Christ, heaven will be hell for you. <laughs> I mean, you know. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that, oh, yeah, I don't want to be like Christ, so I guess hell will be a party. No, it won't. It will be absolutely miserable. And we're supposed to warn unbelievers on a regular basis. We're supposed to warn people. Snatch them from the fire, Jude says, of how dark and how distressing and how empty hell is. Hell is what uh, you get after sin times a billion. That's what hell is every day for all eternity. You don't want that. Okay. But if you do not presently desire to be like Christ, check your heart. Heaven will be hell for you because in Christ, uh, in heaven, there is only Christ likeness. In heaven, there is only godliness. In heaven, there is only righteousness. And so if you are not wrestling with the flesh, if you are not fighting the sins of your life, if you're, I mean, I'm not saying you're perfect. Again, no Christian is. And every Christian sins. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, 8, 9. But if you are not okay, if you're okay with that stuff, well, <laughs> check yourself because there might need to be conversion. There might need to be confession and transformation beyond just this idea of trying harder to be a more religious person. Okay. Anyway, let's get on with the text. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Love that. In other words, God has already de decided he's for you. And to prove that he's for you, we have the cross. Because look what it says in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now this phrase, he who did not spare his own son, harkens us back to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, where what happens? God tests Abraham's heart and says, will you give your son for me? And Abraham says, okay. And he goes to the mountain Moriah and he's about to kill his son. And the angel steadies his hand. And God says, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son. What Abraham was not required to do God was willing to do, to prove his love for you. Abraham was asked to do it, was not required to do it. God was not asked to do it, but did require himself to do it. He gave up his own son for you. And if he gave up Jesus for you, he will graciously give you all things. This is the, this is the power of the cross. This is why we come back to the communion table. This is why we have to have a worship environment where we, have cele where we celebrate communion on a regular basis because we have to remind ourselves that that communion table, that, that meal, the blood and body of Jesus Christ is a reminder that he will provide. He will give us all things. He will not hold back a single thing from us. Going on. Who shall bring any charge? Again, this is a word about uh, condemnation. Against God's elect. It is God who justifies. That's Romans 8 verse 1. Who is it to condemn? There, in other words, there's, this is no answer. Je the word Christ Jesus is not the answer to that question. This is, a, this is a rhetorical question. There's no one to condemn. Can I tell you there's no one to condemn you? 
Can you listen to, can you believe that? Hey, let me know in the comments right now, who is, maybe you shouldn't let me know, but who's your biggest, who's your biggest accuser? And three options, others, the devil, me. Don't name names, don't say my mom, uh, Judy, don't do that, okay? But in the comments below, let me know, who is the person that uh, condemns you the most? Others, the devil, or you? I bet you, most of you are gonna put you. Uh, some of you will put the devil, maybe some of you will put you, uh, others. The, the answer, biblically, is no one. No one, Paul says, can bring a charge against you. They might try to, and you'll have ups and downs as a Christian, everybody does. But it does not mean that God changes his verdict over your life. The verdict is in, no condemnation. The verdict is in, done. Let's look at verse 34 just to summarize this. I mean, just to uh, substantiate that. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And he's interceding for us. Oh, we have the Holy Spirit praying for us. And we have Jesus Christ himself praying for us. As Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number, that's under the old covenant, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is praying with in, in concert with the Holy Spirit, in concert with the will of God over your life in ways that you don't even realize he's praying. And that's why sometimes the Christian life can be so confusing. The Christian life can seem like it's not going in the way it should because Jesus is praying for things that you're not praying for things that, that you're not praying for because you don't know how to pray for it as you ought. But the Holy Spirit and Jesus just letting you know, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are listened to by the Father. <laughs> Much more than you are. Okay, let's get on with the text. Verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And then this list of things that will not. Tribulation, that's just your trouble, distress, persecution, people hating on you for being a Christian, famine, not having what you need, nakedness, not having clothes, danger, sword, the world is up in arms right now, danger, sword, all around, not going to separate you from the love of Christ, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as to be slaughtered. Now, modern day Christians don't relate to this verse, but I guarantee you that ancient world Christians did because they used to hide in the catacombs to worship God, and they had to hide because they were running for their lives. And he used this phrase, for your sake, we are being killed. We are, regard we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's saying, look, on the outside and to strangers, it looks like we are sheep to be slaughtered. But the reality is we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Next verse, look what he says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. The word more than conquerors is uh, the word hypernikeo. Hypernikeo. Niko or Nike is the Greek word for victory. Hyper means super or uh, beyond victory. We are super conquerors through him who loved us. And then he then he's makes an, a, a, a very firm claim in verse 38. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, or powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let me just ask you a question about this phrase, in all creation. Anything else in all creation. Are you in creation? What I mean by that is, are you a part of creation? Because if you are part of creation, guess what? Not even you can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Death won't, angels won't, rulers won't, you won't, things won't, powers, nothing. You are assured. And I'm telling you, like I said, 
This is the greatest chapter in the Bible because it roots us and it assures us of our of our of our relationship with Jesus Christ, of our hope and victory, and our standing before the Father. No condemnation and no separation. Powerful. Let's add to our list from the last two weeks. So we came up with these six things, assurance of justification, power and desire to obey, indwelling, resurrection, leadership and transformation, <clears throat> intimacy with the Father, desire for glorification. Those are all the things that the Holy Spirit provides thus far. I got two more things to add. Intercession in God's will and assurance of our intimacy with God. That's what the Holy Spirit comes. Look at the things that the Holy Spirit comes into your life to do. All those things. And it begins with assurance, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, sorry. And it ends with assurance. Assurance that we have right standing with God and assurance that God will never leave us, never forsake us. And you say, wow, I need that. I want to feel that. Okay, if you want to feel it, you've got to let the Holy Spirit bring it. And everybody knows this, and I tell this to the church all the time. Look, you can open your heart to the Holy Spirit. And you, you can open your mouth to the Holy Spirit. You can open up your life to the Holy Spirit. You know you can. You know you can. You say, how do I do it? Quiet yourself. Get alone with God. Like Jesus said, get in your prayer closet. Separate yourself from the world. That's what Jesus often went and did. He went up into a mountainside to pray. Some of you need to get to a mountain. Some of you need to get to a place where you're inspired by the beauty of God's creation. Look at how many Psalms are talking about the beauty of God's creation. Psalm 19, Psalm 8. I mean, there's a host of Psalms talking about God's glory and creation. What did that mean? That means that the Psalms went out somewhere outside, looked at the sky, saw the glory of the world and said, wow, God, you are good. And then considered himself. And in that process, I believe you open yourself up to the will of God, the, the, I mean, the spirit of God. You've got to get out of your room and you've got to, well, let me, let me back up. You've got to get into your prayer closet at times and you've got to get out on a mountain sometime and you've got to spend time with the Father and open your heart up to the Holy Spirit. And these things, these things will be a reality for you. Let's talk about what it means. What it means today is this. The Holy Spirit assures us of salvation for confident transformation. We're, we're, we're on the... We're on the hinge, if you remember um, from Romans chapter 7, let's go back, okay? We're on this hinge of how he can't do what he wants, he keeps doing things he doesn't want to do, he, he hates himself, wretched man that I am. Well, this, this is about the battle with the flesh. Don't separate Romans 7 from Romans 8. We've been saying that for three weeks now. So in the battle for ourselves, in the battle with sin, the Holy Spirit mentioned 20 times, I think 21 times, in these 39 verses is assuring us again and again of our transformation, our confident transformation. Let's put, let's put this list together. So backing up, Romans 8.1, no condemnation. Romans 8.4, righteousness fulfilled in us. Romans 8.9-11, led by the Spirit. Verse 18, glorious future awaiting. 26-27, uh, to 27, the Spirit is interceding us interceding for us according to God's will. Verses 31 to 39, nothing can separate us from God's love. As Warren Wearsbury says, there is no condemnation because we share the righteousness of God and the law cannot condemn us. There is no obligation because we have the spirit of God who enables us to overcome the flesh and live for God. There is no frustration because we share the glory of God, the blessed hope of Christ's return. There is no separation because we experience the love of God. What shall separate us from the love of Christ. So, <laughs> uh, how many things of the how many things on this list do you need to get rid of? Condemnation, obligation, um, frustration, and separation. These things are null and void because of Jesus Christ. That was quick. Let's get to why it matters. Let me tell you why it matters. Okay, I opened this 
uh, night by saying, if you are discouraged at the end of this night, check your pulse because it means you're probably dead. Okay. Dead spiritually or dead physically. But you, you've got to understand that this chapter means so much for who we are. Number one, and first and foremost, God is for you. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, God is not against you. You are not his enemy. He's not mad at you. He's not out to get you. He doesn't want to rob you. He doesn't want to steal from you. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Want proof? Look at the cross. Want proof? Look at the cross. The cross is the historical testimony to God is for you. And every single Christian needs to enter every single day into that reality. God is for me. Today, God is for me. Tomorrow, God is for me. But don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about today. Today, God is for me. Because if I, if I look at my life and I say, oh, what's going on? And I don't already settle in my heart that God is for me. I, I will be a victim to my circumstances instead of more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves me. So why this matters also is because the person of the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus Christ are working and praying to create your life into a beautiful reflection of his glory. Sorry about my <laughs> notification right there. The person of the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus Christ, working to create in your life a beautiful reflection, reflection of his glory. So in your fight with sin, again, bringing back these themes that we've been talking about on the hinge of Romans 8, 7 into Romans 8, you have the Spirit of God praying and groaning with you and for you. The Spirit aligns your life with the will of God. The Spirit does. The Lord works the events in your life together for your ultimate good, becoming like Jesus Christ. That's the point. God's verdict of not guilty is final no matter how you feel or what you hear from yourself, from others, or from the devil. And Christ is with you always. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the show, guys. Quick one. But I think it was a good one. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I do have some more. <laughs> there is no condemnation because of Christ's blood. There is no separation because of Christ's love. I want you to live not fearfully uh, as God's sheep. Uh, look, sheep naturally are afraid. I just took my church through the, uh, the Lord's My Shepherd Psalm, Psalm 23. And we did a parallel study of Philip Keller's tremendous Christian classic, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. If you haven't read that book, get that book. It's been so powerful for my church. But he was talking about how sheep are so easily startled. Just a little jackrabbit jumping out of a bush can send a whole flock of sheep running for their lives. And they won't even stop when they get to a cliff. They just fly right off the cliff to their own death. Sheep are naturally skittish and naturally scared. And I refuse to be a pastor that breeds insecurity into the sheep. And I don't want this show to breed insecurity in you. I do want to challenge those who are not in Christ, who don't love Christ, to turn to Christ and repent of their sins and believe on him for the forgiveness of sins, because that is available to you no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done. But then once you're in Christ, it is my job to assure you of that salvation because the Holy Spirit's doing that right now. And Jesus wants us to do that. And, and, and I think that you have to look at the life of Peter because Peter really blows it. He denies the Lord three times. He denies the Lord three times. On the third time, as Jesus is crucified or, or being whipped, he swears and he calls down curses on himself. And then he sees Jesus and Jesus sees, Jesus sees him and he runs for his life and runs out and weeps. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Peter went back to fishing. He went back to his old life. He went back to his old ways of living. And he probably thought, I'm, I'm done. That's it. That's a good three-year run. I'm, I'm done. God's done with me. Heard Jesus was alive again. And I'm sure he was like, I'm definitely fishing for the rest of my life. He'll never want to see me again. And what does it say? It says, Jesus shows up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. John chapter 21. 
and he makes practice. And he calls out to them, fish on the other side of the boat. And they fall in this huge catch. Same thing that happened in Luke 5. They come in. Jesus makes has a breakfast ready and waiting for his denier, Peter. And then he restores him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I, I, I love you. I, I, and the words in Greek, Jesus asks, do you agape me? Which means godly love, like unconditional love. And, and the best Peter comes up with is phileo, the brotherly kind of love. Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you as a brother. He says, okay, that's good. Now feed my sheep, tend my lambs. I need you to work in my sheepfold. I need you, Peter, to give the sheep who feel skittish and unsure about their salvation. I need you to give them the message of your life. I need you to remind them that they are still mine. Tend them, feed them, bring grace to them. Because in this world of crazy chaos, we need that now more than ever. Like the video, subscribe, share it, please, on your social media channels. I would be so privileged if you would. And let's see, next week, no deep end, no deep dive. I know you're sad, but the first of the month, we don't do that. Uh, and we will, however, have 10 questions with Tim next Thursday. So let me know, ask at Tim Hatch Live and or the comments below for your 10 questions. Get them in. I'm so glad that you were here tonight. I pray that this was a blessing to your life, and I look forward to seeing you next time in two weeks on The Deep End. God bless you, everybody. Peace.